a privilege to be with you. Go ahead and finish grabbing your cup of coffee, your pastry, your bagel, your cup of tea, whatever that is, that conversation, and find your way back to your chair. We're going to continue in our series titled Fresh. And uh, we talked last week about a fresh start, and we joined uh, multiplied millions of people all around the world in uh, just the click of a clock that anticipated and awakened our hearts to hope for change and for new things. And so we talked about changing uh, our lives in terms of following Jesus, and today we want to continue that theme. And uh, going back to the book of Colossians, and uh, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to uh, be navigating our way through uh, the book of Colossians. We're not going to touch on everything. We're going to hit some highlights there. And today I want to talk to you about uh, fresh faith, fresh faith. Uh, one of the things that I discover, uh, the older I get, is that I have not yet met a person without faith. Every person I know has faith. Matter of fact, let me, let me go further. Not only does every person I know have faith, every person I know lives by faith. Every person I know lives by faith. Faith simply understood as a hope or a desire or a dream or trust. Trust, hope, desire, dream, trust in something or someone. I, I, I have yet to meet anyone who has not trusted or given themselves over to a dream, to an ideology, to a thought, to a person, uh, and, and they're orienting their lives fully around that dream, that ideal, that person, that philosophy, that idea, uh, navigating your way your, and your future into that life. And today I want to talk to you about how it is that we can experience fresh faith. Paul helps us understand that when we take a look at Colossians chapter 2. And so to do that today, I want to begin with uh, Colossians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the first uh, 15 verses uh, out of Colossians chapter 2. And it begins with Paul. Uh, just a little backdrop. Remember, Paul is writing to a group of people that he's never met before. It, it appears he's never met. He's writing from prison. Uh, but he has a really good partner who's gone to share the good news of Jesus with the people of Colossae. Uh, the gentleman's name is Epaphras, and Epaphras and Paul are good friends. They're fellow workers together. They're partners in ministry. And uh, Paul has heard of the awakening of faith in the city of Colossae through the ministry of Epaphras. And so he continues to write to them, chapter 2, verse 1, and he says this. So he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So he reiterates, he, I'm, 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 I'm praying for you, I'm working for you, I'm believing that the good news of Jesus is taking deep root in your hearts, even though I have yet to meet you. My goal is that they, you, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they, you, 
may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they, you, may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. If you're writing your Bibles, I encourage you to do so. Uh, this is one of the practices that I've done uh, for a very long time in my life, and, and I understand. So let me clarify. Uh, it's possible that you have a Bible that is uh, a very valuable Bible. It's an heirloom. It's a treasure. It's a gift. And you just feel oh so bad about writing in it, and you don't. Okay, don't write in that Bible. Just go buy you a really cheap Bible that you don't feel so um, uh, inhibited by. And uh, just go buy one of those Bibles. And as you read through it, when God awakens your heart to what you're reading, just like underline it. Or mark it. Use, use a marker, use a pencil, use a pen, whatever your preferred uh, tool for writing. Uh, and you can, oh, by the way, if you're really up to date and speed, you may no longer read books that have actually bound by paper. You may read them all electronically. I, I, I hear that you can mark those up as well. And I would encourage you to mark up your electronic books also. Underline what it is. And, and then additionally, don't just underline it. Man, take full advantage and write whatever it is that's happening and whatever it is that God's speaking. Just go out to the margin, wherever you can find it, and just write your note. Like, my, my Bible's filled with notes and question marks and exclamation points and oh, wows, and I can't believe it, and uh, Lord, help me is a lot. And I write a lot, Lord, help me. Uh, that, that's, that's written often in my, Lord, help me, because I, I need all the help that I can get. So, so he says, if you, if you underline in your Bibles, do this. He says, I want you to know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. We're going to come back to that. Your fir how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, if you've been reading along with us, uh, every day, a chapter in Colossians, and there are four chapters, so you can read one every day with some extra time left over. And you can miss a day and still get caught up. It's incredible, this, four, this short little book. You can read it in a week. But if, you, if you're familiar and you've been reading along with us, uh, verse 6 sounds really, really familiar to chapter 1 because he's reflecting again this, this uh, uh, being rooted and built up in Christ. So he says, uh, strengthen him as you've taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled uh, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you 
were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, our sin and our indebtedness, our condemnation. He's taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And all God's people said, Amen. Today, as we talk our way through this and we talk about fresh faith, I want to just join with Paul in observing four things about fresh, green, growing faith. And each of them are centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Kirk has already mentioned to you, and I said it last week, let me say it again, I'll just piggyback on what he said. If you need to know one thing about the Vineyard Church, here's what we want you to know about the Vineyard Church. We want you to know that we're a people who are experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. That's our prayer. For each and every one of you, and for those who are not in this room today, but are participants in this community, we really do value uh, experiencing the transforming love of Jesus. We recognize that that love is a, a reci we're recipients of that love. We're respondents to that love, that that love was poured out generously, as Paul says, in a sacrificial death on a cross and a sacrificial life lived by Jesus so that we might know how much we are loved and experience that love, the transforming power of the work of Jesus that changes us from the inside out. Because we're a people who desire deeply to experience the transforming love of Jesus, we additionally believe that that love inspires us to love others. And so we say that we want to be experiencing the transforming love of Jesus, and in and, in and as we experience the transforming love of Jesus, we want to be a, a people who create space for new believers and followers of Jesus to grow. So let me just say it all together. We're a people of God experiencing the transforming love of Jesus, creating space for new believers and followers of Jesus to grow. That's pretty much about everything you need to know about us. And everything we're trying to do is... is, is pointed and tipped in that direction. That's our vision. That's our hope. That's our dream. We try to do it in a variety of ways, but we really, really are desirous of being those who are experiencing the love of Jesus so that we can be conduits of the love of Jesus to those who are not yet followers and to those who are followers of Jesus so that they also, we together, can experience the transforming love of Jesus. Now, Paul says to us today that for us to be fresh, not only in having a new start in this new community's life, but for us to be fresh in this approach to loving Jesus, that, uh, that we need to orient our lives in a particular way. And so he helps us in chapter 2 orient our lives. And so here's, here's, here's what I would uh, want to say to you. Our faith will be fresh and green and growing as we surrender to the narrative, to the story, to the truth that we discover in the person of Jesus. 
Our faith will be fresh, green, growing, and, and, and we will be moving ahead as we discover the biblical narrative of the story of the transforming love of Jesus. And the story that Paul tells us, along with the breadth of other biblical writers, is simply this. Jesus, and this is in your listening sheet if you want to grab it and you haven't grabbed it yet, you know, fill in the blanks. Jesus is at, uh, is at or is the center of all things. Jesus is the center of all things. The, the Scripture tells us again and again and again and again and again and again that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the origin of life. That out of their overflowing love that all that we see and all that is has been created out of that overflowing love. And so the Scripture reminds us again and again and again. It's complete and full of this reminder that Jesus is the center of all things. And I want to take you back to chapter 1 uh, because it's really, really clear. This is, this is sort of the, the, the centrality of Christ, the centered nature of who He is. And uh, verses 15 through 18 in chapter 1, it just so clearly says this. He says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, listen, listen how many times all? All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's pretty clear. Jesus is at the center of all things. Now, this is why it's so important for us to experience the transforming love of Jesus. And so the way we go about that here at the Vineyard is we, we talk about that Jesus is the center of our, our direction. He's, he's the point. He's the place where we're going. So we talk about this uh, uh, it's a sociological way to think, but it, 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 we talk about center set and bounded set. Don't want to get off into that except to say, here's the way we look at it. The centered set is just put an X, just put an X. Jesus is the bullseye, the target for all things because he is at the center of all things. He created all things and he holds all things together. So as we talk about Jesus being the center of all things, then when we talk about growing, when we talk about experiencing the transforming love of Jesus, we talk about what our next step looks like. And we believe that our best next step is always taken in the direction of Jesus. So can I ask you a question? If Jesus is the center of all things that are, let me get really personal. What about your life? What about your life? What about your life? Does Jesus come into play in regard to every decision you make? With regard to everything you do? With regard to the motivation for who you are and who you're becoming? With regard to the freedom that you experience in life? You see, 
Jesus, if he's the center of all things, one must ask, is he the center of my life? Now, I, I, I can tell you, just be, I'll be transparent. I want him to be the center of my life all the time. Truth be told, he's in the center of my life some of the time. But I get distracted. I get distracted. But I always know the right direction. Because when I discover that I've been distracted and I've taken steps in the wrong direction, all I need to do is just turn around and go back toward Jesus. So let me just say it this way, a different way to say it. No matter how close you believe you are to Jesus this morning or how great of a distance you are away from him, your next best step, my next best step is to simply take that step toward Jesus because Jesus is, in fact, the center of all things. And we want him to be the center of our life. Fresh faith and fresh awakening faith follows next steps that are taken toward Jesus. That, that's how we grow. We, stay, we, we take our steps toward Jesus and we grow. We take our steps toward Jesus and we grow. We take our steps toward Jesus and we grow. And let's just be really honest. Growth is sometimes really hard and painful. So the absence of pain is not an indicator that you're going the wrong direction. The presence of pain is not an indicator that you're going the wrong direction. Because we can be going the right direction and be absent of pain, and we can be going the right direction and be going the right direction. The issue is simply this. The issue is, am I taking my next step that I know toward Jesus? So let me pause and say this. What's your next step? For as many people as are in this room, there are as many steps that could be taken this morning to take a next step toward Jesus. Paul sort of outlines what some of those steps might look like, and that takes me to simply this, the understanding that this growth in Christ that we've been talking about, Tom Wright in his book, Paul for Everyone, The Prison Letters, he says this, he says, Christianity says the old slogan, Christianity says the old slogan is Christ. So the old slogan is Christianity is Christ. He continues, put him in the middle of your picture, put him as the X of the center of where you're going. Put him in the middle of the pic your picture of the world and the world will stop spinning in incomprehensible circles and begin to make sense. Let me just suggest to you and to me and to us together this morning that as we put Jesus as the destination, our next step forward, I believe difficult or not difficult, challenged or not challenged, that the world begins to make some more sense as we put Jesus at the very center of everything we do. So in Centered Set Living, we're not looking for rules and regulations. We're just saying simply this, what's your next best step toward Jesus, no matter where you are? Because that's the direction that you and I want to go. And Paul says this to the Colossians, Jesus is the center of all things, and your life should also be centered around him and taking your next step toward him. 
just to move on quickly, if we understand that Jesus is the center of all things, let's not skip over the notion that Paul clearly identifies that Jesus absolutely has no rivals. He has competitors, but they all pale in comparison. See, to be a true rival, you have to actually be, be like uh, engaged in a real battle, in a, in a, in a real outcome that the, the, the difference could be made in terms of the, the, the one who's vying for power could actually win. And the truth be told is Jesus has already won. You see, Jesus has no rivals. Just go back to Colossians 2, 2 and 3. He says to the people at Colossae and those who he's not yet met and to us as well, he says, my goal is that you're encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, I, t I told you that everybody lives by faith in someone or something. Paul knows this to be true as well. And he says simply this. He says, don't, in, in chapter 2, he says, so don't be taken captive, in verse 8. See to it that you're not taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He's saying, don't let imposters root their way into your life and grab your attention so that you follow them because as you follow them, you'll be headed down the wrong road. But rather, give yourself, give yourself to Jesus who is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let me ask you a question. Who wouldn't want to be wiser than you are presently? Who wouldn't want to be more knowledgeable than you are presently? Let me just say to you, Jesus is the answer. He's the mystery. He's the one that God has made known to us so that we lean into him. And as we lean into him, our our lives are transformed from the inside out. Jesus absolutely has no rivals. Uh, N.T. Wright, I love N.T. Wright. He's one of my favorite authors. As he writes about this vain philosophies, um, you can't do this in, in the English language, but you can do it in the original language. In the original language, uh, there's a word that sounds like synagogue, and he uses that word, which is this vain philosophy, this, this deceitful philosophy. He says, he says, hey, remember that uh, this philosophical approach to life is not the way to go. And, and in, a, in a play with words, he's simply reminding uh, the followers of Colossae and hearers of the word. He says, remember that the human traditions I'm talking about, these vain human traditions, you're not going to find them in the synagogue. You're going to find them in a relationship with a real person, and his name is Jesus. They're traditions of men. Can, can, can I just tell you this? Hey, let me tell you this. We can talk about synagogues. We can talk about the Vineyard Church. Can I tell you, you're not going to find life, the life you're looking for, just by coming to the Vineyard Church. You're only going to find the life you're looking for when you find that Jesus has no rivals and you, you discover his life. 
We want to be conduits. We want to be people who help you along the way, but, but, but we're not the answer. Jesus is. So in all that we say, in all that we are, in all that we do, we want to point people to Jesus because he and he alone stands as the only begotten Son of the Father, full of faith and truth, who is all of the mystery of wisdom and knowledge made known to us, and he is alive. Now, and so he has no rivals. So then that leads us to simply saying, well, if, he, if he's the center of all things, and if he has no rivals, what's our response? Well, our response is simply this. Jesus is the focus of our attention. My granddaddy was a, a preacher. wasn't his first um, wasn't his first vocation. His first vocation was uh, he was a tire salesman. Back during World War II, uh, he uh, history lesson. Back before you just threw all your old tires away, you found during the war because. Uh, Rubber was very difficult. Tires were very difficult. Uh, you didn't throw the tire away. You repurposed the tire. My granddaddy had a garage full of tools that were cool tools. So you take a tire and you add some rubber to it, and then you got this, this really hot poker, and you could regroove a tire, and I'd watch my granddaddy do that. Now, the war was far over by then. But my granddaddy loved to do it now and again just for fun. And I'd watch my granddaddy groove new tires and he would add patches to tires. We just recycle them now and buy new ones. But they were repurposing these tires for continued use. And so his first, his first life was the life of a, a tire salesman. And, and I don't want to run off a, a rail there, but I had a lot of fun with my granddad playing with tires. But I watched my granddad allow the centrality of Jesus, that he is the center of all things. I watched my granddad give his life to Jesus who has no rivals, and I watched my granddad give his focus of attention to Jesus by saying yes to his calling. He became a preacher. He became a preacher simply when he said yes to uh, filling in for the pastor who resigned. Anybody ever filled in for somebody who's resigned in the church? Dangerous position. but it's a wonderful danger because your life will be transformed. He was the interim pastor for about six months, and about six months into that, they asked him if he would continue, and he said, well, I'll continue doing what I'm doing. And I told you that story simply to get to this. My granddaddy was uh, uh, one who loved the Word, and he had memorized the full Gospel of John, and when his old age had come on him, he would stand and he would quote from the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He would just quote, and sometimes it's for three minutes and sometimes it's for five minutes and sometimes he just meander on for a while. One of his favorite songs was simply this and I want to get this back to focusing on Jesus. My granddaddy used to sing a song, and the words of that song are these. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's focus on Jesus. Give your attention to Jesus. 
you and I, and as we give our attention to Jesus, guess what happens? He gets bigger and everything else gets smaller. Let me encourage you. For us to have fresh faith, we have to have an object of faith, and the object of faith is a person, and the person is Jesus. And as we focus on Jesus, everything that's going on around us will come into appropriate perspective. Jesus will grow larger because he is primary and everything else will grow smaller as we focus on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. How do we do that? We do that simply focusing our attention, that is. We do that simply by allowing our fresh faith because we follow Jesus. Fresh faith follows Jesus. He says, so just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, let me ask you, when was your faith most vibrant and relevant? Perhaps it was when you were falling in love with Jesus for the very first time. falling in love with Jesus for the very first time. There's a vibrant life that comes from following Jesus and in the newness of following Jesus. And the newness of following Jesus can be kindled into a fire that burns throughout the breadth and depth of your life, not just for a moment, but for all of your life. Yes, honestly, it waxes and it wanes, the fire. But Fresh faith follows Jesus, and as fresh faith follows Jesus, it kindles the fire of love deep within us. If you remember, the church at Colossae had received the good news of Jesus, that he was for them and not against them, that he had transformed them, that he was at work in them, that he was turning all things into good. And so we're reminded that for us to have fresh faith, we have to be actively engaged in following Jesus. It takes me all the way back to the beginning. What's your next step toward him? If he's the center of all things, if he has no rivals, he deserves our attention, and he is worth following no matter where he leads us. One final quote, and I'm done. Again, a quote from N.T. Wright. Contrary to popular opinion, this is true. At every stage of Christian experience, what you most deeply need is not something other 
than the king himself. You always need more of him. He is what it's all about. Huh. I have been so guilty of looking for my life somewhere else. And as I did and while I did, I was looking in the wrong place all the time. I didn't need something else. I only needed more of Jesus. So let me just close by asking you this. What about you? If you're a follower of Jesus or if you never have surrendered to the love of Jesus, if you've never responded to the invitation of Jesus' love, let me just ask you. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? An awakening love that's been present previous or an awakening love that's exploding into new life that's never existed before in your life. That's the call of Jesus. We don't need anything else. We, we don't need something other than we need Jesus. And as we experience Jesus, our lives will be transformed from the inside out and we will experience His transforming love.